Thank you, Dane. Good morning to everybody. Are we awake? Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Might have caught you a little bit by surprise there. It's great to be back with, uh, with all the congregation here at Sunny Slope, all our brothers and sisters. Always great to have visitors with us. And uh, what a blessing to see uh, Allison and Josh Sampson. And I could say all the little Sampsons there, but some of them are not so little anymore. Ethan, right, was just had been born two years, right, when they left 15 years ago. And they had finished their medical training. And moved to Wisconsin to work with a, with a medical center there. And I haven't seen them in all that time, except a few times on Facebook. And we're so thankful that they stopped back with us. And sitting in front of Allison is, uh, is Ryan Went, and he's going through medical training now. And, and uh, so be sure to meet him and you them, because you know when you're going through that, that time, I know that can be really trying. And sometimes you might think, uh, did I really need to do this? You know, but. <laughs> It all works out, and I uh, really want uh, Ashley also to meet them, too, because she's going through medical training as well, and, and the Niamatories, their oldest grandson uh, is at Lincoln right now going through pre-med, and so we're thankful for all of them, and we're thankful for Josh and Allison as well. What a great, uh, what a great time it was for them to be with us for about five years, I think, right, back then? Four? Four years, okay. Great to have them back visiting with us, and great to know about their success and their faithfulness to God. To obey is better than sacrifice. Appreciate Dane reading the scripture text this morning, and I could spend any time, you look at this particular text, you could spend the entire lesson just on that text. But I just want to use this particular text to introduce the application that I really want us to, to make and think about today. And I want us to really help that to reverberate through our minds that, that what God sent Samuel to basically tell King Saul, king of Israel, the first king of Israel, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want that to really be an impression upon us. God gave King Saul through Samuel the prophet a specific instruction having to do with an enemy of the Israelite people who had attacked them as they were traveling through the wilderness wanderings on their way to the promised land. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord has sent me to anoint you over his people, over Israel. Therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek, the nation of Amalek, the Amalekites, for what they did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not, do not spare them, for, uh, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, and camel and donkey. In other words, everything about them, destroy, wipe from the face of the earth. Now, the first message that Saul needed to get from God through Samuel is, God sent me to make you king over Israel. So, whatever God says, then you do, you obey. You are where you are because of God. We need to stop and think about ourselves. Whatever good we have, true good comes from God, right? James chapter 1, verse 17, you know, 
all good, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We need to understand that. We don't make anything good, truly good, for ourselves in and of ourselves without God's blessing. So whatever good we might have, that's from God. First message to Saul was, God made you king, obey God. Now God's bringing judgment upon Amalek through you. Utterly destroy them. Now Saul's army went about that particular battle. And in ancient times, in that part of the world at least, war was not what we understand it to be today. We have protracted wars that can go on many, many years. Then those people, that, those cultures, they would throw everything they had into a battle and that battle, or maybe one battle following that, that was probably the end of the war because it was all or nothing. In verses eight and nine, he also took Agag. Now this is after, after the battle and the Israelite army under King Saul had utterly defeated the Amalekites almost, almost utterly defeated them. Almost completely obeyed God. But the text tells us, beginning with verse eight, he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, but was unwilling to utterly destroy them. So they, they saved the best of the flocks and the herds, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So they, they kind of reinterpreted God's instruction, and God said, you destroy everything, and they decided, well, we're going to keep King Agag alive, and we're going to take the best of the animals, we're going to spare them as well. So they did not completely obey God. Now, God told Samuel, sorry that I made, kings, that I made Saul king. He has gone backwards instead of forwards in obeying me. Beginning with verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Prayed to God all night, undoubtedly for Saul and asking God's guidance and so on. We drop down to verse 13. So Samuel goes to Saul. Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to, to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, isn't that the way it is with us a lot of times? We will go part way in keeping faithfulness in our lives in open obedience to God, but we'll hold back a little bit here and there along the way. We'll kind of reinterpret things as Saul did and the people of Israel did. So he says when he sees Samuel coming up, hey, I've, I've kept the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, now he begins to make excuse. He begins to deflect his responsibility, his sin, his disobedience to God. He begins to put blame on all the rest of the soldiers with him. And so Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people shared the best of the sheep and spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And here's, look why we did this. For a worthy purpose, 
Surely you would think this would be a good thing that we did. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Well, God said, utterly destroy all of them. They held back some. And, and Saul says, but it was a worthy cause. It was to give God glory. To give God glory would have been to obey him completely. And so we drop down to verse 22 for the theme of what we're studying today. It was true for Saul. It was true for Israel. It was true for Samuel thousands of years ago. And the principle is still true for us today. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Now that was supposed to be worship to God as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Has God as great delight in offering him these animal sacrifices that you have spared when he told you to utterly destroy them in the first place as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now Saul tried to deflect, he tried to make an excuse, make an excuse. he tried to give a, an interpretation or reinterpretation of the instructions that God had given him through Samuel. And Samuel said, you think it's okay to disobey God in order to honor God? Uh-uh, it's not going to work. And it does not work for us today either. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, when we consider altering, changing, substituting, ignoring God's word to supposedly honor him, to worship him, to serve him better than what the word states, that's blatant disobedience. And that's what Samuel was trying to get across to King Saul. You have disobeyed God. Well, we did it to try to serve God, to try to worship him. You disobeyed God. Understand that bottom line. Remember what I first told you. God made you king. So you obey the word of the Lord. And Saul almost completely obeyed. But in disobeying part of God's instructions, he was disobedient to God. So we look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. And we recognize that this principle spelled out by Samuel to King Saul thousands of years ago is still valid. It's still part of God's word. It's still part of God's instruction to us today. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, which means eternal condemnation, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so... John the Apostle, writing God's very word here, says, you don't mess with God's word. You don't add anything to it. You don't take anything from it. You accept it and live by it and obey it, follow it faithfully, just as it is given to us in the Bible, in the scriptures. Now, 
Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 gave the same instruction to the people of Israel. Of course, it's God's word writing, you know, communicating to them through Hosea. Hosea 6 and verse 6, God speaking, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. We cannot disobey God in some particulars and try to smooth that over by talking about how much we love God in some way that does not go along with complete obedience. How dedicated we are to God, how we want to worship him, how we want to serve him better while we disobey him in some particulars. Does not work, does not work. God's word bears God's power. Now look at Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. New Testament Christianity, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word, his very word, bears power. When the apostle Paul wrote Romans 1 and verse 16, he was talking about the power of God that works through the message of the scriptures of his word. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the, for the Greek. So God's word has the power to change lives. But changing God's word removes that power because it is no longer God's word then. When you start adding things to it or you start deleting things from it, that's no longer God's word. That's your word now. And when we see denominations around us or, or other people from different religious persuasions saying, well, I think we can do this now. We're in more contemporary times. We can change this. We can change that. Uh, nope, that's no longer God's word. You're not following him according to his word. You're, you're following him according to your word now. And the scriptures repeatedly warn against that, as we already read in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. We can look in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2, 12 and verse 32. You shall not add to or take from God's word. The exact same message going all the way back in just the fifth book of the Bible, laying out the history of mankind and God's plan for bringing the Savior into the world through the people of Israel all the way back toward the beginning. And that's still the message all the way at the end of the New Testament scriptures today. Don't change God's word. Simply live by it, obey it. In Galatians chapter one, verses six and seven, the apostle Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. He said, I marvel, I'm amazed that you are so soon turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And then he says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. When you start preaching a different gospel message from that which is written down for us in the scriptures, it's no longer the gospel message. It's your message now. It's no longer the true gospel. It's something you made up. It's something you doctored, you manufactured on your own. And people need to understand that. And, and, and that's what... Samuel was trying to get across to Saul, you've changed God's instruction. You've changed his word to suit yourself. And that's no longer being obedient to God. 
You were obedient to a degree, but you came up short. You did not fulfill it completely. And now you're responsible for that. Obedience to God's teaching is central to our being right with God. The Hebrews writer wrote about Jesus. Now, as I've said many times, I do not believe Jesus needed to learn obedience. He's God the Son. And while he was fully human, he was still fully divine. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 4, the last couple of verses, that he was confronted with all kinds of temptations like as we are, but without sin. He never succumbed to the temptations. And so verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 5, though he, speaking of Jesus, was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Now, why did he have to go through the process of learning obedience? He never sinned. I mean, he was in heaven before he came to this earth, on a in, in a position of equality with God the Father. Why did he need to learn obedience? I believe it was for us. It was an example for us to understand that we need to learn obedience to God's teachings, to God's word, to God. And he instructs us as to how he wants us to be obedient through his word. So though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And now here's the application for us. And having been perfected, he became the source or author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, who obey him. Jesus put on the night of his betrayal, John chapter 14, verses 15, 21, 23, he put it very succinctly. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you really love me, obey me. Don't talk about how much you love me and then not do what I tell you to do, not follow my teachings, not live faithfully by my words that I have laid out for you as to how to be the faithful follower of me as your Lord and Savior, but obey me. Saul tried to say, I've obeyed the Lord's command. Part of it he had. But he came up short, and Samuel confronted him with that. If you've obeyed the Lord's command, what, 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 what am I hearing here? Sheep bleeding? Oxen lowing? I thought you said you obeyed the Lord's command. Well, we held those out to worship God, to offer and sacrifice to him. Samuel said God didn't tell you to do that. And he did not excuse Saul from having disobeyed in that way. He held him responsible because he was God's prophet. And so he said to obey, just do what God says. Don't try to change it. Don't try to adjust it to suit yourself. Just obey God's word. To obey is better than sacrifice. You thought you were doing a good thing by disobeying God to worship God more fully? Samuel said, no, nah, no, you, you completely missed the boat. You completely miss, miss the boat. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 3, John the Apostle wrote, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? How do we demonstrate our love for God? Just as Jesus said, you demonstrate, we demonstrate our love for him by keeping my commandments, by obeying my teachings. And John says, this is the love of God. This is how we demonstrate our love for God, by obeying his teachings. 
God gave us his word to guide us to eternal life through obedience. A whole lot of people, they want the eternal life. They want the blessing of being in heaven. They just don't want to have to live the Christian life. And the devil's very skillful at making a lot of, or, or hoodwinking a lot of people into thinking that life, that Christian life is just too hard. No, let me tell you, it's the best life that a person can live with the greatest joy, the most profound joy with the greatest hope and expectation. We're talking about eternal life in heaven where there is no more pain or sickness or dying or suffering or sorrow or crying. It's the best life a person can live with the clearest conscience and the greatest assurance. But James wrote, James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And in verse 26, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, God's word, the gospel of Christ, to free us from the guilt of our sins, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The blessing goes with the obedience. God gave us his word to guide us to eternal life. If we want to get to eternal life, we've got to go by God's word. Here's something we need to understand. Don't try to make God's word say something it doesn't say. And don't try to make God's word not say something it does say. There are people in the quote unquote Christian world, I'm losing that, using that particular designation in the very loose sense, who keep trying to change God's word to make it say something it doesn't say. They see the clear teaching there, but they try to explain that away and make it not say something it does say. Don't do that, don't fall into that trap. Don't try to make God's word say something it does not say. Don't try to make God's word not say something it does say. Just accept it as it is and follow it. Go by it. God knows what's best for us. Again, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. When we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, we see an example of how people have changed God's word to say something, well, Really not to say something it doesn't say, to not say something that it does say is what they've really done. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 16, a parallel. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There is nothing in those verses of scripture instructing us as to how God wants us to worship him in song that mentions anything about mechanical instruments and music. But if you look through the denominational world, almost all of those churches have incorporated them into their song service. No authority to do that. No scriptural authority. Well, what did the early church understand? For hundreds of years, they understood God wants us to worship him in song through a cappella singing without musical accompaniment. That was the way the church 
worshiped God in song for hundreds of years after the church was established. And later, mankind innovated things and brought in mechanical instruments. But that's just an example. How many denominations partake of the Lord's Supper maybe once a month, maybe once every quarter, maybe once every six months, maybe once every year? But what do the scriptures say? Acts 20 and verse 7, now on the first day of the week, I think every week has a first day, right? When the disciples came together to break bread for the purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. The day when the church came together as the church was established upon this earth to partake of the Lord's Supper, as we have done a few moments ago, was on the first day of the week. Now, some, some churches will say it doesn't say every, every first day of every week. How often do you suppose they pass the collection basket? Because the same language is used. As you come together on the first day of the week, and then it talks about making a contribution in worship to God. Now they pass that collection basket every first day of the week, don't they? Why ignore the same language in Acts 20 and verse 7? We need to simply do it God's way. Changing the frequency to monthly or quarterly. We're still doing it. We're still partaking of the Lord's Supper. Not as God has laid it out in his word. Don't try to make the word say something it doesn't say. Don't try to make the word not say something it does say. Let's just follow God's word. Changing the frequency violates God's word. Now, what about when it comes to salvation? Don't try to explain away what God's word says as to how to be forgiven of our sins and saved in Christ and thereby be able to look forward to eternal life with him in heaven with all confidence and assurance. Don't try to explain away what God's word says. Remember the principle again that Samuel got across to Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. Don't try to say, well, we, we, we adjust it this way. No, it, just do what the word says. Don't jump through hoops to try to explain away what it says, and don't jump through other hoops to try to make it not say what it does say. Baptism is absolutely required to become a disciple of Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 again, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. How? Well, Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus told the apostles as he was ready to ascend back to heaven after his resurrection, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, teach them how to become Christians, my followers. How, Lord? What do we need to teach them? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's central to bringing them to become true disciples or followers of Jesus. When Peter asked 
was asked by some of the Jews on Pentecost, what shall we do? Acts 2 and verse 38, his response was simple and straightforward. He said, repent and a coordinating conjunction that ties what he just said with what he's about to say, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That coordinating conjunction, whatever repentance is for, is the same thing baptism is for. He says, repent and let, you be, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, so your sins can be forgiven. In Acts 22 and verse 16, the Lord sent that Christian man Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus, and he came to him and said, why are you waiting? Arise, and there's that coordinating conjunction, and again, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. I would suggest to you a fourth grade student in any school system would be able to understand what those two verses say. They wouldn't have any trouble with it. Don't try to make the word say something it doesn't say. Just simply follow what it says. That word also, that coordinating conjunction in Mark chapter 16 verses 15 and 16 ties faith with baptism in order to bring us salvation in Christ. Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe can, shall be condemned. Grammatical construction jumps out to me, but I don't have to be an expert in grammatical construction to understand what that verse says. Salvation is after belief and baptism. Baptism being, being uh, demonstrating my repentance and my faith in through obedience, and thereby I come to salvation in Christ. Peter's statement is direct, and it is dogmatic. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The statements are clear. The teachings are clear. And true baptism is not sprinkling or pouring or rubbing some water on somebody, some baby's forehead. It is a burial, a complete immersion in the water. The word baptizo from the Greek means exactly that. Immerse, plunge, submerge, dip, bury. It was used in reference to a ship that had sunk in the sea. It was baptized, the, 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 the document says. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up, coming up out of that watery grave, is the, is the illusion in baptism as Jesus came forth from that literal tomb, as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though so we also must, must walk or should walk in, in, in newness of life. And then we look at Colossians, again a simple statement, Colossians 2 and verse 12, buried with him in baptism. You don't bury somebody by sprinkling a little bit of water on them or rubbing some water on their forehead or pouring a you know, pitcher full of water over their head. That's not burial. Don't try to make the scriptures say something they don't say. And don't try to make the scriptures not say something they do say. How do we come into Christ? Through baptism. Romans 6 and verse 3, do, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. 
Galatians 3 and verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You'll not find another single verse in the entire New Testament that teaches how to come into Christ other than those two verses that say baptized into Christ. The means of coming into Christ. Just be obedient to God's will. Just accept it as it is and obey it. That was the example Jesus gave us in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered, and he became the author of source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Just accept it as it says. Just accept it as it says. And remember that principle that Samuel laid out to King Saul when Saul almost obeyed completely, but he came up short. When he almost did exactly as God told him to do, but he altered it some. He reinterpreted God's instructions and thereby he did not fully obey. And Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Don't try to explain away your disobedience by saying, but I'm going to worship God in a better way, or I'm going to serve God in a better way, or I'm going to believe a better way. No, no, remember what Paul said. Some had come to the churches of Galatia and were teaching a different gospel, and Paul said, it's not the gospel. Just obey God's word, his will, communicated to us in his word. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then we can have confidence that we're doing what God wants us to do. If you need to come today, don't put it off. Don't try to explain your need away. Step forward. Come. Be baptized into Christ. If you need the prayers of the church, please let us know so we can pray with you and for you. If you need to grow stronger in the faith and pray about that, ask us. We'll pray with you and for you. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?